Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the David Raya in the first five minutes against Middlesbrough to the David Raya for the rest of the game against Middlesbrough. It's Justin Peach. Hello Ryan, it take long to think about that one. <laughs> Justin, how are you doing? I'm very good, I'm very good. Bit, uh, bit good, there's no derby game this weekend but I'm good. Are you gutted or are you actually relieved? Just want the season to be done with, so a bit good. <laughs> We're joined on the show today by Jacob Robinson from the Norwich podcast Canary Cast. Jacob, how are you today? Yeah, mate, not well after Friday. And obviously, you'd asked me to come on beforehand, and then I thought, oh, at least I have to talk about it on my channel. And then I thought, oh, yeah, I can't talk about it on yours. It's all right. We get to relive Friday night all over again very shortly. Also with us is Steve Jenkins from the Bournemouth fan site, The South End. Steve, are you well? Yes, I'm good, thank you. And obviously, I'm a little happier. Three points after some dismal display, so I'm pretty reasonably happy. Lovely stuff. <laughs> you are listening to the biggest championship-specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We'll go through all the games from the past weekend in the championship, talk about some of the news, and then we'll finish off with Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight right at the end. But we'll start off with one of the biggest games of the season, as far as the promotion race is concerned, in the championship. Swansea v Norwich, third versus first and it was third who came out on top with the Swans winning 2-0. Jacob your initial thoughts on the game? Disappointing um, I think the game was tight and narrow uh, would have been 0-0 if not for the two silly mistakes really and very rare from Tim Crow. I, I can't remember the last time in the last two seasons where where he's actually made a, a glaring error like that and then the second one is is Conor Hurahan's kind of bog standard goal against Norwich really as soon as he hits it you know it's in Disappointing. We, we, it, we, we obviously played a couple of games in six days and Swansea had a, a week off, which was always going to be tricky, especially then having to travel all the way to Wales. But yeah, we looked very poor. I think we could still be playing now and still not have scored. <laughs> yeah, despite having plenty of the ball, Norwich really struggled to break Swansea down, didn't they? And Norwich have now gone four games where they failed to score, which is surprising because we're talking about one of if not the best team going forward in the championship. What's been the issue recently? Emi Buendia. <laughs> the lack of Emi Buendia, it really is as simple as that. Um, the, the system is, is purely based all around him. He quickens up the play, he slows down the play, and he's unpredictable. Like, like I'm sure you watched it, all of us watched it on Friday. And Norwich are just so predict- predictable without him. You know, Swansea, I don't know. Sky lauded it as, as the best defensive performance they've ever seen. But I think it was quite easy for them. We didn't stretch them, no overlaps, no kind of pulling defenders out with third down runs. It was just very disappointing. Um, no no kind of creativity really there at all. And it, it, I think you could have stuck anyone there and they would have just sat back like Millwall did on, on Monday night as well and just were, were easy against us as well. You know, Emmy Wendier is, is the main difference. His movement, his creativity... If he stays fit for the remaining 18 games, we go up. If he misses a few, then it's going to be squeaky bum time. Should that really be the case, though, when you've got the likes of, you know, Todd Cantwell, some very talented, creative players in this Norwich team, but everything just falls apart when Brendy is not there? It's disappointing because I, I think this comes down to Daniel Farker has done an incredible job. There's, there's no other word to describe it, but his stubbornness. So we, we do not have a plan B, as you'll see. Whilst we change formation, the style of players always the same. Chemisoire Plajeta, who plays, always wants to get in behind. We don't play to his strengths. He doesn't look very good. Same with like Zonel Hernandez. He comes on, wants to beat men, but he doesn't have any support there. It really is just one way of playing. And when that doesn't work, as you see, we look very, very dull and very boring, very predictable. If you find out how to stop Wendy or if Wendy is not there, then it's very tricky. Like you say, 
other players do need to step up now. I don't. I just don't think Todd Carroll is anywhere near the level of Emi Buendia. I think if you're comparing those two, it's, it's night and day, really. But yeah, Timu Puki is also slightly off form. There's a chance as when it was nil-nil where you think probably two years ago he at least hit set on targets. And at the minute, everyone's just either knackered, out of form, or just not able to replicate what Buendia does. Mm. Three games without a win now. Uh, go back to the game, Justin. From a Swansea perspective, it was a great team performance. I thought defensively they were excellent, but there was one man who managed to steal the headlines. That's Conor Hurahan scoring an absolute pile driver and was also running the game whenever Swansea had the ball. That signing is looking like it could be the best one of the season because from what we've been seeing from him so far in a Swan shirt, he's a Premier League player, isn't he? Without doubt, he is. I think one of my concerns when he came in was, you know, where's he going to slot in? Because you've got Fulton and Grimes sitting deep and Hurahane typically is one of those midfielders that sits quite deep. But again, with Gibbs White leaving, you thought, they go after number 10, but they brought in Hurahay and you think it's a good signing on paper. Yeah, great. Uh, but he's, he's coming in, he's been absolutely fantastic. He's been a sort of a hybrid number eight, number 10. Uh, you know, he's, he's able to operate in that final third quite well. And you saw it, he picked up the space on the edge of the box. And as soon as it opens up for him, he pulls the trigger. You know what's going to happen. He's either going to get, he's, gonna, he's either going to be on target or he's going to go in. Simple as that. His left foot is deadly, isn't it? I, I don't think there was a better left foot in the championship. Uh, Bournemouth got their first league win in six games in Jonathan Woodgate's first as interim manager and the Cherries' first game since Jack- sacking Jason Tindall. They beat Birmingham 3-2. Uh, did you think you were perhaps a bit fortunate here, Steve? Yes. That's <laughs> pretty simple, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we were up, uh, uh, started the game quite poorly, especially defensively, I think. It's not difficult to work out how, you know, how every team scores against us. It's basically going down the wings, putting a cross in and, you know, and nodding it in. And it was pretty much the same yesterday. And also, yeah, obviously Steve Cook headed that one off the line when they looked like they were going to score. And, you know, we were all over the place defensively to start with. And so, yeah, I would say we were quite lucky. Let's have a quick chat about the manager situation. Uh, Jason Tindall, what was your reaction to the sacking in midweek? Uh, not surprised. <laughs> I mean, I think um, it's really disappointing. I think for the whole season, you know, um, you know, I was hoping it was really going to work out for him and he was going to come in and do really well. And he sort of, um, we did all right, obviously, at the beginning of the season. But he, he uh, all our performances have still been, I would say, below par. And he never quite grasped what we should be, you know, should be capable of when you've got a squad that's come down and you've kept quite a lot of that squad. And we just never quite looked like, you know, we always run in at like 80 or 90% rather than 100%. And they always looked like there was a mistake in the team at some point. I don't know, it just didn't look like he had full control or a really good plan to, uh, you know, how we were going to play. And, you know, and he didn't look like he was quite inspiring the players. I don't know, it was difficult because he, he did all right. And then, you know, it just, it just didn't look quite like it was working for him. Hmm. But he has got lovely hair. Uh, Frank Lampard and John Terry have been linked with the job. Would you fancy either of them? And if if not, who would you want? God. Yeah, there's been a lot of discussion about, you know, um, I can't see Frank Lampard taking the job. I really can't. I don't know. Why would he? I, yeah, I just can't see it. <laughs> so, um, and I think John Terry... He's a, he's a completely unknown quantity. I know he's probably, he's maybe very good, but if we take him, we're taking a risk, you know, because that's like replacing one rookie manager with another rookie manager, which we've already got again, really, in Woodgate. And then, so we're going to replace him with someone else who's got no actual experience at manage, as, as a manager of a team. So you don't know what you're going to be getting. He may prove to be absolutely an inspired signing, or he might just fall flat and be pretty much like what we've got already. So I think out of, yeah, so I'm I'm undecided. I would probably say no to John Terry. Um, but then I've been looking at all the other um, options. And <laughs> um, I think I tweeted something about this morning, how uninspired I was by probably all of them. I see that Tony Pullis come in at three to one this morning, which is frightening. Good God, no, 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 no. <laughs> we don't want not want him, you know. Um, who else is on there? And then Woodgate. And then I think, you know, again, at 20 to one, we were looking at people like, you know, basically, people who are out of work, like uh, Pearson, uh, Danny Cowley. Even Harry Redknapp was on that list. Jesus yeah. Christ, we don't need Harry Redknapp back, do we? As, love, as much as I love him. Um, yeah. 
and obviously uh, Benitez was on there and we'd all love Benitez uh, as manager, but that's never going to happen either. So I'm, yeah, I don't really have an opinion on who it would be because I just can't make my mind up on any of them. Just someone who's probably a bit younger and a bit forward thinking rather than just going back and being a bit desperate. Fair enough. Let's quickly mention Birmingham because it was a game where they probably actually deserved something from it. And that's been the case now for the past three games, I think, off the top of my head. But they have now fallen into the bottom three. One win in 11 games. It's not looking good, is it? It isn't. And are we surprised? Well, am I surprised? No. Uh, I think when you give teams the goals that Birmingham gifted Bournemouth, I think I go back to the the, the billing goal uh, to make it 3-2 and the defending would genuinely was a joke. San Jose, who is capped by Spain, very experienced, left his man. It's criminal. It's absolutely criminal. And that's why they're in the bottom three. For a defensively set up team under Karanka, the defending all season from Birmingham City has been dreadful. Simple as that. And that's the reason why they're in the bottom three. And then you add into the mix that they can't score goals. Yeah. It's a bottom three team, quite simply. Yeah, and I think a lot of Birmingham fans will struggle to disagree with you at the moment. Uh, quick mention for Christian Pedersen's goal, though, which was disallowed. Oh, yeah. My, my God, that was goal of the season if it was allowed. It was, it was. It was amazing. Um, Jacob and Steve, thank you for now. We'll bring you both back in a bit later on to play Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. But me and Justin are now going on a trip around the grounds with you, listener. And we'll start off at Ashton Gate for the seven-side derby between Bristol City and Cardiff City. It finished 2-0 to the Bluebirds thanks to goals from Curtis Nelson and Kiefer Moore. But it's now three straight losses for Bristol City. Jack Dawson's from BS3 Talk. First of all, Jack, what did you make of the game? It wasn't good at all. A damning stat is that Bristol City have now lost more league games with 13 than Birmingham uh, in 22nd place with 12 and Sheffield Wednesday in 23rd place with 12. So I think that just about sums up City this season. We either win or we lose, but when we lose, we just look terrible. And yesterday was the same. One shot on target again. Cardiff, I think, had won one game in their last 10 or eight without a win. And to, to not even threaten them was just just terrible. There was no real attacking impetus. You can blame injuries all you like, but ultimately, when your front six is Henry Lansbury, Joe Williams, Hanno Masengo, Fumara Jeju, Naki Wells and Antoine Semenyo, in any championship game, you should be creating chances. And we just didn't yesterday. And it's kind of, I think that's the worst performance of the Dean Holden era so far. It was just terrible. No real inspiration. No one looking to, it, they didn't play like it was a derby, ultimately. And I think that's what really let us down. I think Cardiff had their game plan. Mick McCarthy set them up well. And ultimately, we just couldn't deal with their, with their crosses into the box. Yes, three straight losses for Bristol City now, Jack. Um, after a couple of decent results not too long ago as well, but the playoff push is slowly starting to fizzle out, isn't it? It is fizzling out, unfortunately. But just that's because we're not—we're simply not good enough. I think, despite the injuries, we've still got a good core of Championship players. Although the likes of Antoine Semenyo and Zach Viner and even Tariq Backinson are probably playing more Championship minutes than they should. I think it's probably summed up by the fact that we had to recall a winger from Grimsby, Awara Edwards, and throw him in at. At, um, Brentford in midweek, Brentford away, just because we were so short on players. But ultimately, I think there's a there's a good core for a championship team. There. I think a back three of Dan Bentley, Thomas Callas, and Alfie Mawson is a very very solid uh, foundations. And I think from our Jade and Naki Wells, they should have been they should be by now. They should have more of an understanding than they do. I thought that's got a real potential to be a good championship uh, strike pairing. But playing Naki Wells on the wing, it's just not working. And ultimately, that's what's cost us. We're not scoring enough goals, and then ultimately. At the start of the year, we were solid defensively, but now we are leaking goals as well. It's just, well, it's never a good combination, is it? Yeah, we were talking about the injury crisis in midweek because it is just remarkable, isn't it? If it wasn't for all of these injuries, where do you reckon Bristol City would have finished this season? It's very difficult to say. When you go back to the start of the season, we won our first four games. We were looking brilliant with a fully fit team. I think the formation for one will be very different. I believe about injuries, we would be playing a, a 3-5-2 with... Patterson and Weiman as attacking eights in the midfield, but because of the injuries, we don't have the wing back to do so. Adrian Mariapa at left back has been, well, he's not a left back for one, but it was it was targeted by Cardiff. I think Mick McCarthy went to the Brent, whether it was essential travel or not, he went to watch us against Brentford in midweek, and all three goals came from our left hand side. And we've got four left backs, and they're all out injured, so it's Mariapa, a makeshift left wing back, which is really stopping us from playing that formation. And again, Cardiff exploited it. That's our real weakness. How we didn't address that in January, I don't know. I think that's well, it's terrible that we have four left-backs injured. We didn't address it. But 
without the injuries, I think we're playing a 3 5 2 and we'll be looking much better, creating more chances, scoring more goals. And I think we'd be still, we push off the top six a lot more convincing than we are. I'll say that. Cheers, Jack. Yeah, a very hot tempered game here. Plenty of heavy tackles going in, even without fans there. There was one moment where Harry Wilson was being substituted for Cardiff. Jack Hunt informed him that he sure that he thought he should get off the pitch quicker when Harry Wilson informed him that he didn't want to get off the pitch quicker. Mr. Hunt shoved him to the ground, which wasn't very nice, was it? But it's three straight losses for Dean Holden's side now, Justin. Before the game, he asked fans to send him videos explaining how much this game means to them so he could show it to the players before the game. That obviously didn't work out very well, did it? But um, <laughs> Bristol City were really poor here, weren't they? They were, and it's... Not particularly surprising. I know we can talk about injuries and curtailing the season. Obviously, Chris Martin's now now injured. Um, but with that in mind, they're still so poor going forward. That's five defeats in ten. Um, and, and Sorry, yeah, five of those defeats have been with an opposition clean sheet. So they're not scoring. And when you've got Naki Wells and Famaro Jeju as you know, a couple of your strikers who cost in and around £10 million for the pair of them, you expect so much more, and even chance creation is just so low. But yeah, it's it's just going to be a season of complete obscurity. You'd argue that it's potentially a step back from last season under Lee Johnson as well, which, considering how poor Bristol City became throughout last season under him, yeah, it's not great. No. Jack on Twitter called the performance bad. KH called it pathetic. John said it was gash. No one a fan then. No, not really. No. It, it is surprising, really, isn't it? Because they put in a decent performance against Brentford in midweek, yeah, despite did. losing. Um, and then the game against Derby the week before was just shocking. And it was much more like that Derby game, wasn't it? So yeah. th- this was a chance for them to build upon that Brentford performance, but they just didn't do it. But for Cardiff, Ian said the performance was conclusive. Uh, I think it was a case of Mick McCarthy setting up his team brilliantly. They went with a back three of Nelson, Flint and Morrison. And Bristol City just could not break it down. I mean, first off, try winning a header against that back line. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> and then if you try to play through them, you've got Volks and Rules sat in front who are just brilliant in stopping attacks. It was a tactical masterclass from Big Mick. Yeah, and a lot of credit should go to Big McCarthy for how he's... Because he's playing... He's getting his Cardiff team playing how we thought they should have been playing for the whole season, really. Yeah, yeah. I know they scored from another set piece, um, and that won't change because they are really good at scoring from set pieces. But what we've seen from Cardiff, and I've said it a couple of occasions under Mick McCarthy already, they've just got a little bit more character about them. They're creating more from open play as well, which has been the biggest criticism for them under Neil Harris. They created nine chances compared to just the three from set pieces. You know, a few weeks ago that would have been the other way around. So McCarthy is having a massive impact and you know credit where credit is due. Playoffs is probably a bit too far, but they can they can creep up the table quietly. They're doing it very well. Well, you say playoffs out of the question. <laughs> 11 points off the top six for the game in hand. I mean, they've got Rotherham and Coventry coming up next. So who knows? You can never rule anything out with Big Mick in charge, Justin. Uh, there was a scary moment in this game for Alex Smithies in goal for Cardiff. He went off after 11 minutes after feeling unwell. He had his blood pressure checked and was stretched off. According to reports, he didn't go to hospital and stayed in the physio room for the match. Mick McCarthy after the game said he wasn't sure what was up with him, but when it's not obvious what's wrong with him, it makes it all the more scary. So hopefully he's OK. Let's move on, Justin, to the side who are looking irresistible at the moment. And that's Brentford. They beat Middlesbrough at 4-1, although the argument could be made that the scoreline was perhaps a bit flattering because David Raya had to make some amazing saves. Billy Grants from the Brentford podcast, besotted. Billy, thank God for David Raya. Fair play to David Raya, who redeemed himself plus much more that match. For the fourth game in a row, we succumbed to conceding to a goal from a set-piece lobbed into the area to cause absolute mayhem. The goal... Um, It was not too much unlike the goal against Swansea. You can argue that Raya was fouled, but the trend is worrying. Ball comes into the area, Raya comes to the ball, Raya misses the goal, opposition score. However, after that, Raya was unbelievable. He pulled off a series of incredible reflex saves. The difference between previous seasons and this, beforehand, we would have conceded those goals, but now something seems to have changed in the team. There's a new mentality which has ensured that we don't panic despite having a rocky spell, then we go on and punish the opposition. 
Yeah, who cares about how many chances you concede when you're just so ruthless going forward? And that's summed up by none other than Ivan Tony, who got on the score sheet twice yesterday. He is just a phenomenal player, isn't he? Ivan Tony is an incredible player. We'd have been Premier League now with last season's team still intact if we managed to get him in last January, as we very nearly did, to play alongside Ollie Watkins. But K. Sarrar, he's the most deadly striker at Griffin Park since Dean Holdsworth, who scored, I think it was, about 40 goals in one season. He's a different type of striker to Watkins, but more deadly. He's strong, he's incisive, and he's a right handful. He had a lean spell for a few matches, but in that time people failed to mention that he was busy setting up goals on the wing and helping out in defence when we needed him. He's a very good player and will be playing Premier League football next season with or without us. Well, you say with or without you at the moment, you've got to assume it's going to be with Brentford because you're the form team in the Championship. You're absolutely flying at the moment. You're in the top two. You must be feeling pretty confident about promotion. I've been supporting Brentford for absolute eons and I've seen it all with this club. And one thing I know about Brentford, never presume anything. We've had 10 playoff losses out of 10, I think it is. I think it's six Wembley and Cardiff final losses out of six. We were the first team to lose in the lucky dressing room at Cardiff. I mean, I mean it's just honestly, you, you, you couldn't write it. That is so Brentford. Uh, last season, we should have gone up, but we obviously were not ready to go up. But neither were Fulham or West Brom, to be fair. But that's no excuse. You've got to take your chances when it comes and they didn't, we didn't. But we've learned from that defeat and we've become more resilient bouncing back from going behind to Warnock sides, not losing games 1-0 like we did last season, seeing games out and putting teams to bed. We're looking good, and yes, I'm quietly confident, but there are some very good teams in and around us, and there is still a long way to go. So ask me again in April. <laughs> Cheers, Billy. <laughs> uh, the Irish Bees on Twitter called the performance unbelievable, with emphasis on the B. Get it? It's, it's an easy pun. I like it. Yeah. It is. Jake called it clinical. Justin, you could point at the chances Brentford conceding in this game and maybe make an argument that if they didn't tighten up, then in the near future, things like this could come back to bite them. But when you've got a man between the sticks like David Rea, he can have games where he saves points for his side. Is he the best keeper in the league for you? I said that at the start of January, didn't didn't I? When uh, when we did the teams of the season, I put him in my... my um my team of the season so yeah for me he's, he's the best keeper in the league for me Tim Crawl's up there as well but when you see games like this it's hard not to just really appreciate yeah. how good a goalkeeper he is I mean the first goal was his fault and that's probably a big weakness in his game when it comes to crosses and what have you isn't it but shot stopping ball at his feet he is superb Ivan Tony got two more goals to add to his tally 22 now for the season only one player's got 30 or more ever in a championship season. Ivan Tony's is only eight goals off and he's still got a third of the season left to go, Justin. I, I think what we are watching in Ivan Tony is the best striker the championship's ever seen. Oh. I mean, <laughs> goal scoring alone, he's showing that. He could easily get 35 goals, let alone 30 this season. But I've said it before and I've said it again. If you think Ivan Tony is just this goal poacher, then you are seriously wrong. He drops deep, he helps link up play. He is the perfect all-round striker. His passing, his ability in the air, uh, his pace, his movements, and of course his finishing. He could do it all. And he's showing no signs of stopping. To score goals as consistently as him is just miraculous. And I think in the future, we'll look back on this season for Ivan Tony as the standard bearer for all other top championship strikers. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Um, when you've got a team like Brentford going forward... Yeah, they've had um, strikers who have conceded, uh, who've scored 20, 20 plus goals for the last three seasons. That is not only a testament to their recruitment, but also the players they put around them. Because the amount of chances they create, if you've got a clinical striker, they're going to score 20 plus goals in a season. I think Guy Whittingham has got the Football League record. I think he scored, I want to say, 40 goals. And this is back in the early 90s. Mm. So if you can crack that, then. Yeah, you're, you're probably you're, you're right in saying he's, he's the best striker at Championship I've ever seen. I think ever since he was renamed to the Championship, he definitely is. Yeah, Because yeah. as I say, it is quite surprising really that only one player's ever got 30 goals in a season and that was Glenn Murray. Mm. Um, but for Ivan Tony, he looks like he's going to piss it quite frankly, isn't he? <laughs> um, but hey, Brentford, absolutely flying. 
20 games unbeaten now, seven wins from the last eight, sitting second in the table, just a point behind Norwich in first. If anyone wants to make an argument for Brentford not going up this season, I'd love to hear it. Uh, just quickly on Borough, Justin, Neil Warnock said after the game he's never been as satisfied with a 4-1 loss. And it's a fair argument, really, isn't it? They created so many chances, and it's weird saying this after losing by three goals, but he could be very happy with what he saw here, can't he? From a from certain perspectives, yes. Obviously, the, mm. I think the goals they conceded were fairly sloppy. Um, but as well as that, they could have been 4-1 up at half-time. They could have been 4-1 up. It was that sort of game. Um, and, uh, you know, it would have been a different story if they'd put the chances away. But that's been Borough's problem all season. Um, they've they've now lost, I think, four games, four home games um, in a row now, which needs to be needs to be uh, addressed quite quickly. And then as soon as that is done, they're, they're five points off the top six, so it's still within reach. Yeah, still sat in seventh, five points off Bournemouth in sixth. A side who are in the playoffs at the moment, but you can't really say they're playing particularly well at the moment, is Watford. They drew 0-0 with Coventry on Saturday lunchtime. Mike Duffy is from the Watford podcast, Voices of the Vic. What did you think, Mike? It was a typical Watford away performance. Absolutely lacklustre. Didn't look like creating anything. Didn't look like scoring. I think the closest we come to scoring, Troy Dina hit the bar. Uh, Andre Gray tried a dink in the first half, which he definitely meant to dink back post, but he almost ended up lobbing their keeper. Um, so, very uninspiring. And, you know, it's come out in the Athletic today that we were meant to be playing a 3-5-2. Uh, they were training, using that system up until Thursday. And then Munaf scrapped it last minute for a 4-4-2 again. So, same old, same old, same Watford away. Absolutely dross, mate. Yeah, initially on Disco Munoz, everything seemed to be going well at Watford. You were playing nice attacking football. It was exciting to watch. But recently, you seem to have gone back to playing very Vladimir Ivici. Yeah, I I said on my podcast that when Munoz first come in, you get a new manager bounce most of the time, whenever you sack a manager. And he was the perfect character to come in and provide that new manager bounce. You know, there was... You know, the news coming out when we played Norwich, he was playing Sweet Caroline in the dressing room before. All the lads were sort of buzzing. There was an energy about the dressing room, which sort of lacked. There, there wasn't under Ivic towards the end of his tenor. And after the end of the game, you know, they were all hugging and they just felt that little bit of unity back. And he was blasting the tunes in the dressing room. And at the moment, it's the other end of the scale. Uh, there, there are stats out there that actually show that the Football under Ivic was actually more progressive than it is at the moment under Munoz. We've created more chances under Ivic than we did under Munoz at the moment. So it's 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 all going wrong. Yeah, but if you've had two managers come in and it's not worked for either manager, could you argue that there must be some sort of deeper issue in the Watford squad? Absolutely. You know, you, you look at the football under Pearson after lockdown, uh, you look at the P- football under... If you look at the football under Munaf, it's it, there's a common theme. We will do well in the first half, but crap in the second or vice versa. I can possibly pick out two complete performances. Maybe Preston at home, even though they were sort of re- really hit with a big injury crisis for our game. Uh, and then Norwich at home. Other than that, we've not performed well throughout um, under three managers that I can think of now. Uh, so I think there is bigger problems behind the scenes. I think players are sort of using their player power a bit too much. I don't want to name names, but I think something isn't right behind the scenes. And as you say, how many managers do you bring in before you start actually picking out the actual root of the problem within the squad? Cheers, Mike. Yeah, three games without a win for Watford now and the performances are the big concern really, aren't they? Something seems to be a bit off at Watford right now, doesn't it? It does, and it's, it's it's really difficult to put your finger on it because you look at the calibre of player that's there. Brilliant. Really good. Really, really good. Should should be getting into the top two um, on, on calibre alone, but they're not gelling as a team. Um, I think the commentary team said yesterday in the game that they were playing as individuals. It felt like that. I felt really sorry for Andre Gray. I know we've panned into him a little bit, but he had nothing. He had absolutely nothing in there. It comes to a point where you should start to criticise the players that are around him 
because they're not providing him with any chances to put away. Um, he made a chance by himself with the weird ship thing he did. Uh, and that was about it for Watford until the final 10 minutes. That was it. Yeah. Cameron on Twitter called the performance unambitious. At the game itself, there were actually a decent amount of chances for both sides on a different day. It could have been a different result. I think Coventry will be quite happy with how it went, won't they? They were. They would be. Um, they, they've now kept seven clean sheets in the last nine home games as well. They were quite plucky, but you could see that they lacked quality. Um, there were occasions where I think it was Jamie Allen pick up the ball in the first half and De Costa at right back would make some really good runs. And all you've got to do is just switch to play and you open the game up quite easily. And he didn't. Um, he played an easy pass into either Biamu or um, whoever was nearest to him, really. Uh, and something I want to point out is Coventry's home record at St Andrews um, is, is much better than Birmingham City's. <laughs> um, they played. Th- they played thirty-one, won sixteen, drawn eleven, and lost just four times. I like that. I really enjoy that. <laughs> Stats like that are amazing. Uh, the commentary back three, I thought, had a great game. Yeah. Callum O'Hare looked lively as well. Mark Robbins will be pleased with what he saw. Uh, results around Coventry not going their way hasn't helped this weekend, though. Three points above the relegation zone, and they're looking over their shoulder a bit. One of the sides who's having a good go at pulling out of the relegation battle, though, is Rotherham who won again. Four wins in six now for the Millers, the latest coming in a 2-1 victory over Preston. Matt Lax is from the Rotherham United podcast, and your boys are flying at the moment, aren't they? It was superb at the minute. Four wins out of the last six, two in a row, three away wins in a row. I think that's the first time since something like 2003-2004 we've got three wins away in a row in the Championship. And it's the first time under Paul Warren we've had back-to-back wins in the Championship, uh, which I think is a major milestone in terms of putting forward some consistency and as, as everybody knows it's a very obvious thing to say but if you start winning a couple of games on bounds two or three four games on bounds the chances of being anywhere near a relegation zone is going to be basically zero so it's important to keep up this consistency um it, it, we weren't at as best yesterday against preston but it's all about picking up those three points and uh, it's to a very very important couple of results yeah, what's changed with Rotherham? Because it seems like something's just clicked and results have just started going your way. The change came after the Everton game, um, or the FA Cup. It was a game that nobody really wanted. Many teams in the country, not just Rotherham, didn't want the FA Cup games particularly. Uh, but we were outstanding against Everton and we were very unlucky to lose, only an extra time. Uh, and it seems like that performance has given the whole team confidence. Um, and then we've just sort of taken that forward. Uh, beat Derby, beat Middlesbrough, beat Derby again, now beat Preston, had a good 3-3 draw against Stoke. The only thing we've lost to this year, other than Everton, is Swansea, who were on a fantastic run of form as well. There's no, no shame in losing to them when we did. Um, the formation that we've got working 3-5-2 it seems to have really, really clicked. Um, but yeah, it's some really positive play. Individual performances are looking really, really good as well across the board. Uh, it's looking very, very positive at the minute. And you've given yourselves a great chance of staying up. You're the informed team out of the sides at the bottom. You've got games in hand and other teams around you aren't in particularly great form. So you must be feeling pretty confident about staying up now. Definitely. I think we're six points off 11th with two games in hand. Um, and what a couple of points clear of relegation with two games in hand to most down there. Um, but we've got a couple of big games coming up. Cardiff Tuesday, QPR next Saturday, which is a bit of a blockbuster. Uh, we've got Nottingham Forest before the end of the month. Um, it's all pointing in the right direction. We've bought a couple of January signs in with Lewis Wing on loan from Borough and Ryan Giles on loan from Wolves. Ryan Giles looks someone who's a left, a left wing back and looks, he's got a lightning pace, got two goals already. Uh, Lewis Wing played, started his first game yesterday. And slotted perfectly in, you can pick a pass, uh, as shown by the second goal, his composure in the box to find Wiles. Um, we've got strength in depth for the first time this season, uh, and then coming into the right time of the season. Uh, so if we can, you know, get a couple more wins on the board, it takes us further up the table, a few more points, we will start to look in a really, really comfortable position. Cheers, Matt. Yeah, three away wins in the championship for the first time in 17 years for Rotherham. Justin, you've got another chance to continue your ever-growing love affair with Rotherham United. I was rubbing my hands waiting for this opportunity. So so firstly, <laughs> they've they've won they've taken 13 points from 18, which is astonishing for a team that everybody would have predicted to finish in the bottom 3. We need to consider this Rotherham team to be a very good attacking side. 
they are a very good attacking side. They're not very good defensively, we know that. I know they've been keeping clean sheets, but they're a very good attacking side. And what Warner's achieved in his time there is, is remarkable. They made five changes for this game as well, and they still came out with a result. And as you say, it's, it's three wins on the trot for the first time in, in 17 years uh, in the Championship. Uh, what what Paul Warner's done recently as well, he's switched it to a 3-5-2, and he's been employing... That the formation that he's been employing has been key to their, their turnaround. It's not, I don't think it's really been a turnaround, actually. I just think the amount of games he had called off, you couldn't really get a bit of momentum. But now Rotherham have momentum. They're flying, and they've scored 13 in their last six games, which is amongst the highest in the league. And Lewis Wing, cracking signing, because he was superb in this game as well. Yeah, Middlesbrough fans will be very interested to know about how Lewis Wing did here. And he was just pulling all the strings in the middle of the park, creating chances. In fact, that midfield of Jamie Lindsay, Dan Barlasa, Lewis Wing has got to be... Yeah, it's got to be one of my favourites in the yeah. division. It's excellent. And the 3-5-2 that they're playing is really working wonders, isn't it? it is. They're looking like a really tidy outfit right now of Rotherham. They're still 20th, just a point above the bottom three, but they have got two games in hand. Justin, does it, he thinks it's fine. They're Ignore gonna, it. Yeah, who cares? Formality. <laughs> if, you, if you want to know how tight it is in the bottom half of the championship this season, Justin... If Rotherham won both those games in hand, they could go as high as 13th, which is amazing. I mean, if you said a couple of months ago that Rotherham could realistically be 13th, I mean, it's just outstanding, isn't it? It is, and I'm just thinking, I'm getting far too ahead of myself, but if they win those games in hand, playoffs, anyone? No. <laughs> Come on now, let's not get carried away. <laughs> if, if this Rotherham side finish mid-table, then that in itself is an astonishing achievement for Paul Warren, especially when you consider where they were just before Christmas. Uh, but for Preston, I think this was quite cruel, really, Justin, um, because they had a fair few decent chances in this game. Speaking of cruel, this is incredibly cruel, but I'm going to say it anyway. Plenty of Preston fans were very annoyed to see Joe Rafferty playing at left-back instead of Greg Cunningham when the uh, lineups were announced. So when I saw he scored a brilliant diving header into his own net in the first minute. I'm very ashamed to say I laughed very, very hard. I'm sorry, Mr. Rafferty. Uh, <laughs> but Alex Neal said after the game that he thought they could have won. They did have a few chances, didn't they? But how, how many times have we been here when we've said Preston have had a few chances, but they've not put them away? It's, it's that same narrative we've been leading with the whole season where the one thing that the team has always missed is a number nine that can put the ball in the net. Um They've got an array of attacking players. Uh, you've got to look at Anthony Gordon came in, the Scott Sinclair, Ben Whiteman, etc., etc. But they just don't put the chances away regularly enough. And that's why there will be a mid-table team until they bring in a number nine. Hmm. One win in six games now for Preston. And I look at the table, Justin. How are Preston 11th? They never seem to be in form. That's <laughs> it a good doesn't point, make actually, any yeah. sense to me. <laughs> it's, it's, so, it, it's mental. Uh, Preston 11th. Eight points off the relegation zone. Nine points off the playoffs. So despite being in the top half, they're nearer to the bottom three than they are the top six. Uh, but there you go. Let's have a break, Justin. After that, we'll talk about wins for Millwall, Forest and QPR. I tell you what, there's nothing I love more than a classic football shirt. I've got loads of them. A Juventus shirt, Marseille shirt, even an Antalya Sport shirt. One of the reasons I've got so many is because I can get them for a great price from ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk. They've got shirts for teams from all over the globe, and that of course includes championship clubs. So if you wanted a classic Wednesday shirt, Reading shirt or Barnsley shirt, whoever you support, they'll have something for your club. It's not just shirts either, they've also got tracksuits, baseball caps, socks, so much stuff. Have a look for yourself. Go to ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk right now. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Millwall got just their third win in 20 games by beating Wednesday 4-1. Scott Malone with a wonder goal. We'll talk about that in a sec, Justin. But for Wednesday, it's their second loss under Neil Thompson as interim manager. Dan Foote is from the Wednesday week and your boys got a bit of a spanking here, didn't they, Dan? Yeah, we did. Um, you know, went one nil up. Thought, yeah, this is great. This is where we'll go. And then we tried to uh, do what we've done under various managers over the years and tried to defend a one nil lead, which is always a mess. 
and then uh, ended up getting spanked. Uh, the ironic thing is, is that uh, Kieran Westwood, uh, you know, in, in his return back to the uh, back to the team, made a couple of decent saves, but then for their second and third goal, also got beat on his near post. Um, so for me, you know, he's managed to get under the rag of uh, of two managers and get him frozen out from the first team. There's something there that we don't know about, so he can get in the bin for me. Fair enough. Well, it's only your second loss under Neil Thompson as interim manager. Uh, He's picked up a few wins in that time, more than Tony Pulis and Gary Monk so far this season. Have the performances matched the improved results? As much as I would probably get some pelters from some Sheffield Wednesday fans, I don't think they have. I think, you know, the team are playing with, you know, a bit more drive and a bit more passion and really want to play for Tomo, but... The, the issue is that, you know, our performances haven't been that much better. I feel that we've been a little fortunate in terms of getting these results that we've got. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong, it's clearly obvious that the players want to play for them more than they ever did for Monk and f- for the dinosaur Tony Pulis. But, you know, we're, we're not tearing trees up. And the unfortunate thing is, is that all the teams are quite bunched up together at the bottom of the league. And, um, and they keep picking up points when we do. Well, that's it, because if you hadn't picked up those results, then you'd probably have been cut adrift by now. But have you felt more confident about staying up since Neil Thompson came in? I think the only thing that's keeping me confident is the couple of results that we've got and obviously being able to keep up with the pack. Um, but still, I, I, we are we are miles behind everybody else. You know, we are looking abject. We look a little clueless. We don't really know what our plan is. And, you know, let's not forget that even if we had our six points back that we started the season without, um, we would still be right down there in an absolute mess. And finally, Dan, we've been saying on the podcast recently, Wednesday really need to sort out the manager's situation if they want to have any chance of staying up this season. Do you agree with that? If so, do you think Thompson until the end of the season? If not, who do you want to get in? It's always an interesting conversation because when I say, you know, Gary Monk out, the first question that gets fired back at you on something like Twitter is somebody to go, well, who are you going to get then? Well, that's not my bloody job. Do you know what I mean? Nobody nobody had heard of Carlos Cavallial until he took us to the playoff final. So, you know, are, are there coaches out there that nobody's heard of that might be our Nuno Espirito de Santo? Maybe. I don't know. Obviously, I'd prefer somebody like uh, Nigel Pearson because, you know, I've, I think I've been banging the Pearson drum for about five, six years now, it seems. But, um, but yeah, I'd be happy to give it Thompson till the end of the season and then, uh, and then hope for a rebuilding job um, during the summer. But I don't know if we can fund a rebuilding job and I don't think that the current financial state of the club can attract anybody any good. Cheers, Dan. Yeah, the Neil Thompson to get the Wednesday job bandwagon has hit a bit of a bump here, hasn't it, Justin? Because this performance was a bit of a mess, really, wasn't it? It was, but I do feel a bit for Wednesday because looking at the goals, okay, Scott Malone's goal was fantastic and I think it was Ben Thompson. His goal was a little bit of a fluke, but I just find, I found the goals very fortunate. I I even thought the penalty was a bit soft. So I think on another day, it would have been a, a nil-nil draw. I, the performance wasn't great, but I just thought Millwall were a tad fortunate with the goals that they scored. Mm. I could see what you mean. I, I think saying that it could have been nil-nil on a different day is a bit extreme. Um, I don't think it is with Wednesday's form. I, I'm not sure I agree, <laughs> but I think Millwall definitely deserve the credit here because they did create plenty did, of chances. Um, I mean, that Scott Malone goal was just unbelievable. Flicking it over Callum Patterson's head and then volleying it in. It was, it was sensational. Goal of the season? When you consider that at no point in that transition that Malone did not have any control over his limbs. <laughs> yes. Yes, I think it was. I suppose when you consider who scored it, I, I, I suppose maybe it is goal of the season. I, I, it's not goal of the season for me, but it's definitely a different goal to some of the goals that we've seen this season anyway. Um, Even though the scoreline and result is great, in a way, Millwall did create plenty of chances, but I don't think they were particularly outstanding. I think it was more of a case of Wednesday being very poor. 
maybe I'm just being harsh, I don't know, but I'm just amazed that we're talking about a Millwall game which wasn't a draw, Justin. Amazed <laughs> but disappointed because I kind of want them to just draw every game now for the rest of the season. Millwall are 13th with this win, while Wednesday still second from bottom, three points from safety. At Adams Park, we saw the resurrection of a championship legend, Glenn Murray, scoring two for Forest as they beat Wickham 3-0. What a man, Justin. Love him. Absolutely love him. I was a bit, I was against the transfer to start with because I thought Forrest are bringing in a 37-year-old striker who just hasn't had any game time this season. But you sort of forget that the old adage is class is permanent. Um, and, he, and, he, and he had that. Uh, I didn't see him having an impact so quick, as I say. Uh, but it makes you think at what's going on at Watford uh, behind the rationale of signing Murray because take his first goal, for example, that was a half chance. He had no right to, to put that in. It was, it was, a, it was a really good finish. Uh, and he drew the foul for the penalty that he scored as well, which not only speaks of his experience, but you think about Watford, they could have done with a striker like that for large periods of that first half of the season. But now Forrester uh, profiteering from it. He was outstanding yeah. all game. If I had to make a list of players who I know hadn't played for Forrest before, but it feels like they have, Glenn Murray would be top of that list. Okay. I've got no further explanation on that. But I tell you what, I was very impressed with old Muzza. I mean, for a bloke who's 37, he's still got a bit of pace on him, hasn't he? For the penalty that you mentioned, he managed to breeze past the two Wickham defenders to win the penalty. Mm-hmm. But he really was great. And he's got a point to prove as well, because as you mentioned, he's hardly played in the last year or so. And I still think plenty of people would have thought that's it for him. And if this game is anything to go by, there's still life in the old dog yet because he's got a point to prove. And I think that makes him all the more dangerous to other championship defences. I don't know what his long term plans are, but if he fancies going again the season after this, then this is his chance to try and get a deal, isn't it? And I think that is one of the driving factors behind Glenn Murray this season because now he's got something shameful. I mean he's a professional obviously and he um, doesn't need much more motivation but he's got that extra thing there now hanging in front of him hasn't he um, I love seeing after the game as well Murray, Nokia and Bong celebrating together, the Brighton boys helping old Chrissy Uton out Forrest and Hove Albion isn't it <laughs> did you come up with that? I want to say yes but I thought on Twitter <laughs> oh, you. Uh, Neil on Twitter called the performance promising and this result really was massive for Forrest because there's now four points separating them and the bottom three. Do you get the sense they're pulling away? I do. I actually do. I think this is this is what Chris Hutton does. You think back to when he took over at Brighton. Sam Hippier was sacked. They were around the bottom three really, really badly. Winless in God knows how long. He came in, stabled the ship like he's done at Forrest, brought in his own players like he's done at Forrest. Uh, and you're starting to see the form turn around. I, I very much see that Forest will start to pick up. I don't think they're any danger of relegation. I was speaking um, to a couple of Derby fans uh, yesterday, and I think the main the main contenders for relegation are Derby, Sheffield Wednesday, Birmingham City, and perhaps Coventry. I don't. I just don't see Forest being dragged into it at all. Um, and as I say, I think they're going to pull away now, finish sort of lower mid table, build for next season. I don't think you can rule Forest out of relegation just yet, but. I will say I'd be very surprised if they were to go down, considering the standard of player that they've got in that squad. And also, I think there are three teams who are much worse than them. Um, One of them is probably Wickham. Matt on Twitter summed up the result from a Wickham perspective by saying, relegated. I do feel sorry for Paul Wickham. They're becoming a bit stranded at the bottom of the table now, aren't they? 12 points from safety. And they got taken apart here by Forrest, didn't they? They did. Uh, they've conceded 16 in the last six as well, and that's something that needs to be addressed because at one point in the season they were picking up points quite resolute, not conceding many chances, and that seems to have escaped them completely. One thing I am you know, qu- quite happy seeing is um, Ik Piazzu coming into form because even, I think he had a goal disallowed in, the, um, in this game, and he looks he looks quite sharp, and if they keep creating chances for him, you know, maybe they can go one and up. Obviously, a bit difficult last last week against Brentford. They did that, but um, but they need to find a balance again because it's a scary run of form for them. Yeah, they're they're never going to score a hatful of goals, are they? The best chance they had of staying up was by shithousing it, basically, and that is what Ainsworth has been trying to do this season. But recently, 
other teams have been picking up wins. Well, Wickham just quite frankly haven't. Their next games are Wednesday, Huddersfield and Derby. Three gigantic games. But even as I say that, they could win two of them and they're still quite far behind the rest of the pack. Uh, what we're saying, if they don't beat Wednesday on Tuesday, then they're down? I think so. They're 12 points off Derby at the moment in 21st and it's just looking like too much of a mountain for them. It's sad to say, but... I think we might be having to relegate Wickham even before Easter at this rate. Uh, four wins out of five for QPR, who have really turned the corner all of a sudden. Their latest win came against Blackburn. Johan Barbe getting the only goal of the game. Fantastic result for Rangers, but Blackburn will be wondering how they didn't get something from this game. They will be, but I think that's down to down to QPR. I'm a big fan of what QPR are, are doing at the moment. But as you say, from, from, from Blackburn's perspective, I just this game has been quite consistent after the new year I think it's our first defeat this in, in the new year in the league but the standard of play is just nowhere near it was in the first sort of quarter of the season you know they're not as clinical they're not creating as many chances still creating chances but not as many and goals goals have dried up it's just 10 in the last 10 which isn't too bad but considering where they were it's a massive drop off I think you might be being a bit harsh because Senny Dieng was mad of the match here for me. He made some crucial saves and has actually played an important role in QPR's recent run. He's only conceded two out of his last five games. And here's a question for you, Justin. When you talk about goalkeepers in the championship and we talk about the best ones in the championship, you think of Tim Krull, David Rea, Asmir Begovic. They're all in goal for top six sides. Outside of the top six... Is Seni Dieng the best one for you? I'm just looking at the table now. I think so. Bryce Samba is one of them as well. Um, but he's he's a top six goalkeeper. Forrest has had a really, really bad season. But yeah, I think so. Dieng, uh, Bryce Samba and maybe Simon Sluger. Mm. Bielkowski would be the other one yeah. for me. Um, but I think in terms of all-round goalkeeping and based on how he's done this season then Dieng's been nothing short of sensational, really. He's been at the club since 2016, only been given his chance this season. And quite frankly, I think QPR could have been in a bit of shit if it wasn't for him, because he's kept them in a number of games and won points on his own. He's been amazing. And QPR fans won't thank me for saying this, but they'll do well to hold on to him in the summer, especially after games like this, where he has been man of the match by quite a distance for me. But back to the game. And this result takes Rangers up to 16th. After looking like they were in a bit of trouble not long ago, they're suddenly looking all right, aren't they? Yeah, I think we're starting to see a QPR side that we were expecting to see earlier on in the season. Um, you know, we said that we've been fans of their recruitment and it just wasn't gelling. And Warburton, to his credit, has not only changed the form around, but again, going back to character, character's massive in the Championship, especially when you're in the lower half of the table. He's turned that around as well. It's one defeat in six and it's been a big week in terms of character, as I was saying. They went 1-0 down on Monday night to Watford very difficult team to, to break down they kept plugging away until uh, until the end for a win and it's the same here against Blackburn they score early in the second half and they kept a, a very good attacking Rover side out so for me you know credit where credit's due we were calling for Warburton not calling for him to be sacked but we had our doubts about him um, so yeah he's turned it around really really well well, I think all QPR fans, the vast majority of QPR fans, were in exactly the same boat as us, saying Warburton's got to go, but fair play, here we are. And they're climbing out of the relegation battle, aren't they? For Blackburn, just quickly, I think it was a very frustrating game for them. They would have expected to win going into the game, considering how well they've been doing recently. Six points off the top six of Blackburn. They have got a game in hand, though. Luton won, Huddersfield won. We talk about teams who for them it wasn't their day Luton will be wondering how they didn't win this game by at least a couple some of the chances they had bloody hell Justin yeah it's, it's been a strange season for Luton because you say on one hand it's been very good they're sort of lower mid-table cracking season but you know players like James Collins haven't been scoring as many goals um as as they did last season, they just haven't been as productive in the final, well, in the eighteen yard box as they have been previously, which is strange considering how bad Luton were at this point last season. But they had people individuals scoring goals, and perhaps it's more of a collective display. But yeah, they'll be, they'll be frustrated with it. And these these tight games where you sort of think Luton Huddersfield should be looking over your shoulders, maybe. 
Mm, I think Huddersfield more than Luton. Um, just quickly on Luton, I'd say obviously it was frustrating not to get the win, but it, it's got to be encouraging considering the chances they created. Mm-hmm. It was just yeah. they didn't have the person to put it back in into the net. Um, but I am getting increasingly worried about Huddersfield, Justin. As we've just mentioned, they should have lost this game. They've picked up two points from their last six matches. And if you want an idea of how much they've fallen, they're now just a point ahead of Forest. And considering the first half of the seasons both those teams had, that's worrying. Now 17th, five points above the bottom three. And that points gap seems to be shrinking every week when we talk about them, doesn't it? It does. Um, when you've got someone like Rotherham who are picking up points and Forrest as well and Derby, they'll have a run of form again at some point. It drags teams drags teams down. Obviously, Wednesday picking up points as well. It just it it's squeaky arse time, isn't it, for a lot of teams? And the only, the only caveat to Huddersfield is it was four straight defeats. They've arrested that side with two with two draws on the trot. Could be something to build on. Possibly, they have got Wickham coming up in in the week's time, so you'd expect that to be three points. Uh, final game of the weekend was Stoke nil, Reading nil. Just three shots on target in the whole match. Reading didn't have that theirs until the 79th minute. That's all I'm willing to say on this game. Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. These are all your main headlines from the past week. Just quickly, we're not going to talk about transfer deadline day deals in this episode. We did that at the end of Thursday's episode, uh, Thursday's show. So go back to that and listen if you want to. Uh, Jason Tindall has been sacked as Bournemouth manager. Again, we had an in-depth chat about that in Thursday's episode. So if you want to hear our thoughts, go and listen to that. Uh, Jonathan Woodgate's been put in temporary charge. This week, he admitted he was surprised to be in temporary charge. You and me both, Jonathan. Uh, Derby have confirmed Christian Bielik. <laughs> Derby have confirmed Christian Bielik has suffered another ACL injury. He had the same injury back in January last year, which kept him out for most of 2020. Uh, we spoke about this last week, didn't we, Justin? Because that's when Bielik had the injury and it yeah. became immediately apparent that it did look quite serious. But now that it's been confirmed, how big of a blow is this for Derby? It's it's massive. I saw a table in the week about uh, just some some data some data chat put it on and it was really interesting about the probability of teams staying up in the bottom uh, in the bottom six and Derby were you know finishing outside the the bottom three uh, and I, I asked him you know do you take into account the fact that players get injured etc because Derby have lost one of the best midfielders in the championship. And it doesn't. So it just it just makes you think that Derby are going to struggle for the rest of the season um, because they don't have that shield. He was a one man shield for that back four because it's not a good back four defensively at times. You know they do struggle without that shield. And as a Derby fan, I'm stressing out. It is not nice. It's quite disappointing, really, that the Barnsley game this weekend was cooled off because yeah. after the Rotherham game in midweek, it would have been fascinating to see how Derby would have responded to that loss because at the moment we don't really know what way they're going to go because obviously we've got Rooney as the new manager and that coincided with Bielik returning to the team. So we're still yet to really find out who had the bigger impact, Rooney as manager or Bielik coming back into the team. For me, I'm more concerned about it being Bielik coming back into the team. Uh, But sticking with injury news, Bristol City have suffered a triple Injury blow. Chris Martin, Hakeem Abdelikun and Tommy Rowe have all set to be on the sidelines for at least a couple of months. Um, Dean Holden was very reluctant to say out for the season, but it's for Abdelikun, he seems almost certainly out for the rest of the season. Chris Martin probably as well. The injury list at, at Bristol City just continues to grow and grow. Sky Sports claim Wednesday have written up a short list of potential managers. However, the club isn't close to appointing a new boss. Some of the names include former Chelsea assistant Henk Tenkate, former Wigan manager Paul Cook, ex-Birmingham head coach Pep Clotet, and recently sacked Watford boss Vladimir Ivic. Any of those you fancy? I imagine Paul Cook's the one who stands out. Yeah, but Chancery called him unprofessional literally about two weeks ago. There's no way Paul Cook's going to walk into that one. <laughs> and uh, Pep, Pep Clotet, I think, has been appointed by an Italian team owned by Cellino, 
ex Leeds owner Cellino, which which rules him out as well. It's not a very good shortlist. I don't know. Well, as yeah. we've been saying plenty, Justin, over the past few weeks, the Wednesday job isn't a very attractive job, really, is it? No. I mean, I don't know what Hank Ten Kate's been doing for the past few years, but even then, I, I can't imagine he'll be particularly enticed by the job. Uh, Vladimir Evich as well. He's been winning leagues for fun in other countries, comes over to the championship in, and doesn't have a great spell at Watford. Can't see him wanting to downgrade to Wednesday because, unfortunately, it is a downgrade. Um, Harry Souter has signed a new deal at Stoke. The young defender is having a breakout season for the Potters and has been duly rewarded. And finally, championship legend Danny Graham has retired from football. Best of luck to you, Danny. Hey, Justin, weren't you giving him some stick last week? I Yeah, I just... It just dawned on me. I did, yeah. yeah. Uh, and now he's now. retired because of because of that stick. Maybe How coincidental. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's do some polls, Justin. So this is the part of the show where we ask you three questions on Twitter that we want to get your thoughts on, listener. So the first question we asked you was, are Brentford going to win the league this season? Yes or no? I don't think they will. Really? Yeah. Why not? I, I don't know. I just... After last season, um, they they choke a bit. I just don't think they will. They are absolutely flying at the moment. 62% of people think they will win the league this season. 38% said no. Uh, did Jason Tindall deserve to be sacked by Bournemouth? Yes or no? I'm, I'm on the fence, but I'm leaning towards yes. The reason is you just don't get enough time, do you, as manager? You say you're on the fence. So are listeners. 52% said no. 48% said yes. Um, again, it's 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 so hard to say. Isn't it? I feel sorry for Tyndall with being sacked during his first bad run of form, but at the same yeah. time, you look at the players he's got. So it's really hard to say. And finally, which championship manager would win a WWE-style Royal Rumble? Daniel Farker, Mick McCarthy, Tony Mowbray, Tony Mowbray and Wayne Rooney. A Royal Rumble. It's a difficult one. I'd, I'd, mm. I'd watch Mick McCarthy. Mick McCarthy came out on top. 36%. Yeah. Wayne Rooney got 26%. 20% said Mowbray. 18% said Daniel Farker. I think if this was skinhead Rooney, then he'd have it all day. He'd just mop the floor with every other manager there. But uh, Mick McCarthy, he's hard, isn't he? He is. He's, very, he's well hard. Now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson here. So this is Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show. Jacob Robinson from the Norwich podcast, CanaryCast, and Steve from the Bournemouth fan site, The South Ends. Jacob, you've got experience at Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight before. Are you confident of being able to um, carry on your good form? I'm going to say I'm, I'm mellow about it and I'll, I'll try my best <laughs> go with like that, that technique. Staying level-headed, I like that. Uh, so I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject. All they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I, if I were to say name the eight teams who are most recently promoted to the Premier League and Justin would say Leeds, that's one down, and Steve would say Fulham, that's another down. But if Jacob would say Gateshead, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, gents, is give me all eight answers without all eight of you being eliminated. So since we've got a Bournemouth fan and a Norwich fan on the show, let's pay tribute to a legend for both sides. Can you name me Lewis Graben's last eight clubs? Oh, no. <laughs> I can't stand oh, Lewis no. Graben, by the way. <laughs> no. Well, when I said he's a legend for both clubs, that was kind of tongue-in-cheek for Jake. Yeah. Um, so we'll start off with you, Justin. Can you name me a club that Lewis Graben has played for, well, one of his last eight clubs? Uh, <laughs> crap, Sunderland. Why are you stuttering? He's playing in the championship now. I know, but I was, it's the last eight, and I'm thinking the amount of loan spells he had really early on in his career. I don't want to fall into that trap again. And... Well, Sunderland is correct. He had a very successful loan spell there in the 2017 18 season. Uh, Steve, your go. Can I say Norwich? You absolutely can say Norwich. Uh, Norwich uh, that is correct. He had a, well, he had a spell there in between spells at another club. Uh, Jacob, can you name me another club that Lewis Grabbins played for recently? That other club in between was Bournemouth. <laughs> it absolutely was. He had two spells at Bournemouth, scoring 36 goals in 115 appearances. Justin, back to you. Uh, he had another loan spell at Villa. 
did have a loan spell, a mildly successful loan spell in mm-hmm. 2018. Uh, Steve, your go. Well, who's he play for now? Nottingham Forest. Exactly. Uh, he's been there for eight. I put in my notes he's been there for eight years now. That's not correct. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's playing for Forest at the moment, obviously. So you've got three left, and it's getting a bit tricky all of a sudden, chaps. I'm hoping that, Steve, you'll be able to help out with where you signed Lewis Graben from when he joined Bournemouth. But we'll get back to you in a sec. Jacob, can you name another club Lewis Graben's played for? Um, I believe he played for Reading. He did. He had a remarkably underwhelming loan spell there in 2017. Now, you've got two left. This is a bit tricky now. Justin, can you name me a club that Lewis Grabbins played for? I've got two in mind, but I'm not sure now. But I'm going to go with a, I'm going to go with a Millwall loan spell. You're incorrect. He was at Millwall, but that wasn't one of his last eight clubs. So Justin is out. Steve, it's back to you. Is it Rotherham? Yes, he had one season at Rotherham in League Two, scoring 18 goals. That's yeah. where Bournemouth signed Lewis Graben from. So you've got one left. This is quite tricky. Steve, do you know it? No. No, OK. <laughs> this is quite tricky, and I thought this might be the one you have left. Um, I'll give you a clue. They're playing in the Championship at the moment. Jacob, it's your go. Oh, no. I did not expect you to say that. Oh, I need the Rotherham one. This one is tricky. He played for them in League One, if that helps. I'm giving you a lot of clues here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, crikey. Um, It won't be these, but I'm going to guess anyway. Barnsley. He didn't play for Barnsley. But I suppose Rotherham, Barnsley, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? League One Uh, Championship as well. Yeah, but you're wrong. Uh, (laughs) Steve, (laughs) you're the last man standing. Can you name Lewis Graben's eighth most recent club? Oh. And they're in the championship currently. Yes. Um, I'm going to go Wickham. I tell you what, you're not miles off. It's not oh. Wickham, but you're in the right kind of geographic area. His... Gillingham, is it? No, it's Bradford. <laughs> <laughs> he had two loan spells there before joining permanently when they were in League One. So there you go. You've all failed. Jacob, how do you feel? Oh. We were close. That was a tricky one at the end. I'm going to take that as a small little win and then move away. And hopefully when I come back again, Norwich actually won a game. <laughs> and that can be the high, right? And then lose Simon Grayson's eight again. Well, there we go. This has been Simon Grayson's Take for Late. And this has been the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are in the world. We've got, what, three games in midweek, Justin? I don't know anymore. It's kind of a a really awkward number. So you can expect to hear from us again on Thursday. So we look forward to seeing you then. Otherwise, thank you to our guests on the show today. Jacob Robinson from CanaryCast. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Steve Jenkins from the Bournemouth website, The South End. Thank you for your time. No problem. Enjoyed it. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. Oh,